the Long Take Review, a film podcast with one eye always on the Oscar race. I'm your host, Jen Subchakchai Bankard, and I'm here with a couple of short men in big hats. Actually, that's not true. They're pretty tall. First, he thinks he's so great because he has boats. It's P.T. McNiff. How's it going, P.T.? That might be what is most difficult in life, Jen, accepting the failures of others. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Yeah, failing. Um, I have not accepted any of my own failures today, so I feel like I'm ready for this episode. <laughs> uh, and Destiny brought him this lamb chop. It's Greg Cass. How's it going, Greg? I found the crown of France in the gutter. I picked it up with the tip of my sword and cleaned it and placed it atop my own head. Hello. How are you both? Good what to see you. What a French accent. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so great to be here. Excited. You know, it's always funny to me because this is an Oscar movie. So we got both eyes on the Oscars uh, this week. So very glad to do that. Yeah, and I wasn't sure if we should change our tagline. I was like, because like for the next few months, it's going to be all eyes on the Oscar race. <laughs> Any eyes we can spare, basically. Just, it just well, no, it's, confirming we're skipping Aquaman. We're live on air. <laughs> all right, fair. <laughs> I mean, look, one eye is always on it, and but now both eyes are, are, yeah. are on it, yeah. and that's, I that's think, true. I think, it, I, think it, I think it holds. It holds up. Yeah. <laughs> we are here today to review Ridley Scott's Napoleon, which follows not only his military career but his relationship with his wife and Empress, because they call her that constantly in the movie, Josephine. The film stars Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon and Vanessa Kirby as Josephine. And Vanessa Kirby, because I've talked to a couple people who actually don't know Vanessa Kirby by name, uh, you probably know her as young Princess Margaret on the crown. Because usually when I say that, people are like, oh, yeah, her. Okay. Which to me, I'm just like, she's just Vanessa Kirby. So um, I thought I would clarify that. The film uh, is to me. She's the White Widow from Mission yeah, Impossible. White Widow, where, 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 where are we sorry. going? What are we doing? Yeah, I'm what's sorry. happening? Oh Jesus. <laughs> Jen thinks she's on her prestige TV podcast right now. She forgot she was slumming it with us. Well, my TV. my feed is just being bombarded with Crown ads, so like I feel like that's just where my head's at right now. Even though I haven't watched any of the new ones, um, that's true. And uh, yeah, I I've been hanging out with with people who watch the crown too much i guess and and uh, uh, no, no love for her academy award nomination for pieces mm. of a woman okay i yeah. the crown is the other eye that's not on the oscar <laughs> race is watching the crown apparently yeah <laughs> uh i almost watched that movie and then i read what the premise was and i was like i can't Ooh, i can't it's rough <laughs> can't do that because i think whenever it came out it was like my kids were still like i still had it was it was covid it was a covid movie. infant infant yeah aged children so it was, that was like i should not watch that um anyway now that we've gotten entirely off the rails <laughs> twice <laughs> twice uh did i finish talking about this movie let's see no you, oh, you were the, you were stuck on vanessa kirby that's right i shouldn't have said anything i just should have blown right past vanessa kirby so napoleon is playing in theaters now but at least ridley scott has said i guess i should qualify that that there will be a four-hour director's cut on Apple TV Plus at a later date. And I'm going to be honest, so many of the critics that I follow, it's there's a lot of four-hour cut discourse. So we'll probably end up getting to that at some point later today. If you are listening to us for the first time, we will have a spoiler-free section designed for those who have not yet had a chance to see the film. And then with a very clear warning, uh, you could say as loud as cannon fire, we will shift into spoiler mode for the rest of the show. PT, if folks are listening right now and they 
they decide they want to hear more of our reviews, what can they do? If they want all the updates on who Vanessa Kirby is and what role she has played <laughs> across multiple episodes, uh, and they want to hear those new updates when they drop, please follow the Long Take Review wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Apple, Spotify, Overcast. Clearly, Greg and I use Overcast. That's why it's always mentioned here. But really, anywhere <laughs> anywhere you go, you can follow us, subscribe, uh, review us, rate us. We're, we're, we're very open and welcome to uh, people giving us feedback here. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram and threads at the Long Take Review uh, or uh, at Jen Substack, which is thelongtake.substack.com. Thanks, PT. So we are just about ready to get into Napoleon. And I am I'm going to admit I am incredibly curious because we have not discussed off mic what what we think about this movie. I'm very curious what's going to happen in a couple of minutes. <laughs> but first, we need to do a quick movie news update. <laughs> just in off the wire. It's your Hollywood news. This is PT's first time hearing this. It's it's even better <laughs> seeing Greg's face like while it's being said. I know. <laughs> right, you're stuck with this now, Greg. I'm sorry. You're gonna have to hear listen to your own voice forevermore. Uh, outstanding. Uh, um, so uh, a lot of awards news. So I think when Greg and I had recorded our Priscilla review, which I checked, no one has listened to yet. Um, <laughs> I listened to like the first 20 minutes of it. Okay. Well, no one on Spotify has listened to it yet, I guess, maybe. Is yeah. what I should respect. I was on Overcast, as previously mentioned, uh, <laughs> a viable alternative podcast server. Well, it was the Spotify wrapped week. So I was like already in there looking at the stuff. So that's mm. how I noticed it. I was like, oh, no one has listened to Priscilla. Anyway, when Greg and I recorded that review, we, the Gotham Awards were unfolding. Like, I think they hadn't actually finished when we were, because I was trying to frantically look up who was winning and didn't do a very good job. And so, like, it turned out it was actually still ongoing. So uh, they have now finished. And the big takeaways are that Past Lives won Best Feature and mm -hmm. Anatomy of a Fall won Best International Feature, which I believe is what I said on the other episode, because that was the only thing I could see on the internet quickly uh and it also won the screenplay category and so so those are two films that i feel like oscar pundits have thought or suspected might have faded and now they're kind of back in it i think at least a little bit or could be um what do, what do you two think about that do you feel like this this is actually meaningful for those two films i mean good boost good boost to get back into the conversation uh, and that that's a good thing. I don't know if it's going to necessarily change the trajectory of things, but better to be winning awards and and have those awards talked about than not. So good. I'm glad. I like both those movies. That's that's fair. Yeah, I'd rather be past lives than say like Asteroid City, which had just a tiny bit of buzz and then has been entirely forgotten in the fall, um, yeah. which, you know, could be. I, I My hottest take on this is I think past lives squandered its uh, kind of window of we can be out there promoting this and talking about it. I know across what I consume, I saw Greta Lee out there once or twice, but they had months that they could dominate the conversation and didn't. So I hope this win sparks uh, Celine Song to get back out there, Greta Lee to get back out there, because I do want this film uh, to do well and, and get far. Um, we, we've joked before, this is the highest uh, rated or the most listened to episode of Long Take Review is our past lives take. So I think, you know, that shows that there is interest in this film and those people who uh, will see it 
want to, you know, engage with it and listen to what other people have to think about it. And um, it, I believe it was a PT take for Thanksgiving uh, for roughly that reason, which I think is, is a good call. And gosh darn it, uh, Anatomy of the Fall is the same thing. Like these are the ones you want to talk about uh, at the bar after or, you know, over dinner after if you hit the matinee. So hopefully this helps keep them in the conversation. And um, I'm I'm excited because I do think those are two of the better movies I saw this year as we head towards top 10 time of year. Um, you know, those are both going to make mine, no <laughs> doubt, behind Dial of Destiny, but up there still. I like how PT knew to not say anything because I was practically <laughs> trying to expand my browser window so I could reach the the, the soundboard. I might I might have gotten warning of that. I, yeah, I told, I told that him I was like, up. "Don't tell Greg," but I I I, I, cut, <laughs> I cut an indie, an indie uh, drop. Um, Perfect. So anytime Perfect. you mention Indiana Jones, so that's that's going to be on on that's the... Dial of Destiny available today on <laughs> Disney Plus for your streaming pleasure. <laughs> And no, no, we're not getting we're not getting paid by Lucasfilm to do that. <laughs> it's just we're just nerds. I have to ask: Is it only when Greg says something? Because, like, for instance, I did get uh, a text message right before recording that my steelbook shipped from Best Buy of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Duly <laughs> noted. <laughs> yeah, Julie I think just any mention of Indiana Jones. I mean, I think mm -hmm. the bit is that. Greg takes every opportunity to mention Dial of Destiny. So <laughs> that's that's why I wanted to put it in there. But I think now we can, it could just be an all purpose indie reference mm. moment. We can all bask we in the We are taking our first step to becoming a AM morning Zoom crew. And uh, I love it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Greg, he's sitting in the boom crew. Uh, let, I will note to get us slightly back on topic, even though it is very clear that uh, we don't want to talk about Napoleon because we will, we will tangent on anything else. <laughs> Um, but I, I was looking it up while we were uh, riffing, on, of course, on Indiana Jones. Uh, not for nothing, the last two Gotham Independent Film Awards, I'm sorry, two of the last three winners of Best Feature, they went on to win Best Picture. Uh, mm -hmm. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, and Nomadland won, which, you know, I mean, fit within. I don't think that means uh, necessarily that Past Lives might be more uh, The Lost Daughter or uh, Marriage Story or the year before that was the writer, but I mean, all I guess I don't know if the writer actually got a lot of traction, but all those other movies won something uh, at the at the awards, or at least was were heavily nominated. So that's good. That's good for past lives. Again, like there's there's it might be a real boost. Yeah, I'm, I'm at least hoping that this means that it's not going to get lost in the shuffle and then not make it into best picture. As long as it gets a best picture nomination, I'm pretty happy. I think. Anatomy of Fall, it's really interesting. Critics, I feel like the narrative amongst critics has kind of flipped because I feel like I heard so many people being like, oh, yeah, like Anatomy of Fall not nominated, not not being France's pick for international feature. Like, oh, forget it. Like, And now people, I feel like, it, I think I heard Richard Lawson on Little Gold Men saying, well, perhaps that Anatomy of Fall is now going to win a bunch more stuff because, or like maybe France didn't pick Anatomy of Fall because they were trying to double dip and they were like, well, Anatomy of Falls, they were so confident Anatomy of Fall was going to get nominated anyway mm. in other categories that they decided mm. to choose something else so they could win everything. And so I'm like, hmm, I hadn't heard that before. <laughs> but, but you know, like all Oscar theories has has its own logic and, and kind of makes sense. But New York uh, Films, Critic Circle Awards were also this week, uh, and they they don't have a 
they don't have a ceremony as far as I know, but they, they sort of just like release and they, and it's a weird thing where they vote on it as they like announce the winners as they vote quietly in a room. This is what I heard. It's like a caucus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then it's just like periodically at random intermittent times throughout the day on uh, yesterday, I think it was, they announced all the winners, but it's just white white smoke. And then someone shouts out Lily Gladstone. (laughs) Um, Right. And so I was going to say in terms of actors, Lily Gladstone between Gotham Awards and, and uh, New York film critic circle, Lily Gladstone really has emerged as a front runner because Gotham Awards gave her an award, but not for Killers Without Moon. But I, I think I heard that that was because they did not sim- the studio did not submit Killers of Flower Moon to the Gotham Awards, mm. right? Because like it's kind of too big a movie traditionally for that 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 awards body. Um, but she did they they gave her award for a different movie anyway, and then she she won for uh, New York Film Critics Circle. So people are really saying that that this this is a great momentum for her. And then the other actor is Charles Melton, who a lot of people didn't actually have on their list originally so he is the the male lead in may december which is about to hit netflix i think next week and so people are now really buzzing about him and thinking like oh what does this mean because he also i believe won both so that 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 and that seems to be the dominant like narrative that's come out in in terms of like who's ahead after these two awards I just want to say, do you know what would be great uh, with May, December is let us see the movie. Uh, I'm so tired of these discussions. Uh, and and I, I, you know, I love a lot of the podcasts we've mentioned all the time, but I was listening to Little Gold Men from, I think, last week today. And they were going through their screeners and talking about all the movies they're sick of talking about. I'm like, these are still not out. And I want to see these movies. So um, May, December did actually make it to my city in a very small, just one art house theater theatrical run. So, so that one's on me. But um, it's really exciting to be here in December and seeing all these. I want to pick one other winner from the New York Film Critics Award uh, per the article you shared with us. Uh, I think this is a big play for Divine Joy Randolph and uh, her be so this uh, is uh, the actress who plays Mary in The Holdovers uh, review now available on Long Take Review back catalog. Um, I think uh, The Holdovers I think is seeing its kind of um, box office tick up more and more i believe i noted this arrived on streaming on tuesday but like at the higher tier the 20 dollar. you really want to go to the theater for this but you're lazy so we'll charge you a lot and let you watch it at home price um so uh i think that helps people access it and you know my joking aside there are a lot of people who look at a 20 dollar rental and they're like yeah that's less than one ticket so you know my spouse and i uh will sit and watch this and that's totally worthwhile so i like that momentum uh i think i am finding myself in the camp of um i want emily blunt to win awards but not for this part, as uh, a lot of people have have come out and said, it's a good acting part. That was my first reaction walking out of Oppenheimer, but it's not the kind of role we want them to make more of. We want them to make roles like Divine Joy Randolph's in in this movie, where she gets a really meaningful arc and you know is absent for just a little while, but um, is really a full character within this. So, uh, go Divine, go. Uh, Somebody on uh, Little Gold Men pointed out, if we're looking for Oscar hosts, let's do the only murders in the building. Uh, Steve Martin, uh, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. And guess who else is on that show? Divine Joy Randolph. So she can come in and perform and do lots of bits as well. So it would be a really fun time. 
accept the award from the side of the stage, which is always fun when someone has just finished <laughs> something on the mm. stage. Uh, my two things I'm going to point out from these awards, not that you know these are direct indicators, but I, I like the thinking and I like that it's being set as a possible narrative. Uh, a division between director and picture. It was Killers of the Flower Moon won Best Picture, but Christopher Nolan won Best Director. That's interesting given you know, the, the, the jockeying for first that it looks like it will be between those two movies plus poor things, maybe a few others. Like, you know, again, I'm a big spread the wealth person. I like that idea when there's a lot of worthy movies to get it, you know, get it a lot of different ones rewarded and awarded. Uh, and also I, I know film critics are not necessarily going to go for any kind of franchise thing, but Nice to see the Miyazaki, the boy and the heron, get best animated feature. Uh, that, you know, again, very early, it's just one thing. It's critics, so they're a certain type uh, of person. And I love Across the Spider-Verse. I'd have no problem with that winning. But also, wouldn't it be great if Miyazaki got another another animated Oscar? Like, that would be nice. So It would. That's give, another. Give I'm that gonna, a boost. I'm going to hop on Greg's. Can't we just see the movie already? I'm so excited <laughs> to see that. It is coming out, you know, in about a week or two, I think so. Yeah. Um, so we don't have to wait too much longer, but my counter to your, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, Christopher Nolan split or Scorsese Nolan split is the thing I've heard about New York film critics is that they just love Martin Scorsese so much that it kind of skews of course. how what indicator like that they were good, that he was always going to win anyway, probably. I think this happened with the Irishman. So, so that's just something to keep in mind. And, you know, as you both mentioned a little bit, like these are critics groups. And so that's the thing you have to kind of not get too excited about is that critics mm. have oftentimes very different opinions than the Academy. And so, you know, you have to take it with a grain of salt, but the, you know, the flip side to that is that oftentimes these early awards get people excited and kind of, it's like a chicken and egg thing, right? Like, you know, the, the Academy might not share the same point of view as the critics, but critics being really up in arms and excited about something can get people more interested to see it and kind of build momentum with the rest of the Academy. So, you know, so it's not nothing, but you'd have to just have to have that little asterisk at the end. So I realized something about myself recently, which is I always kind of pick my pony and sometimes <laughs> I've seen the movie and sometimes I haven't seen the movie, but I'm like, I think that's my, my pick. And so uh, just because I'm snobby, I will say last year it was, I had everything everywhere from like April on. And I thought it was going to be like an underdog story. And then it just dominated all across the fall. But it was like, that was my pick. That was my pony for it. Um, so number one, do you do this or am I a weirdo? And number two, purely in best picture, like what's your pony? What's the one you're currently kind of riding on hoping is the one you, you, think should get the big prize or that you want to be so good that it gets the big prize. I I do sometimes pick ponies. Like I, I don't necessarily get one where I'm like, this is the one I, I sort of think about it in terms of the different categories, maybe where I'm just like, Oh, I hope this, I want this thing to get be like, such a good screenplay. It's going to win one of the screenplay awards. Uh, and uh, my my division, uh, and I know it's already been talked about before, but even once the sort of movies are out, is I like talking about what should win. I know that there's uh, Jen likes talking about what will win. She's uh, a, an odds maker, and uh, and uh, she wants to get the predictions correct. Um, and so I I lean more into just like, well, this movie like should win, even though it has no chance. Like the boy and the heron probably has very little chance to actually win best animated feature. All due <laughs> respect to the New York film critics, but I want to keep talking about it because. That's sort of in that category. That's my pony. 
even though the front runner is a movie I adored. Um, I'm going to stick with Killers of the Flower Moon is my best picture uh, little, you know, baby that I want to, uh, uh, it, it'll be my binky, I think for, for the rest of the, the rest of the rest of the season. Uh, I, yeah, uh, I, I I'm my, it, it's like a, it's like a, it's, it's a, a tool, two sided binky. One is past lives to be nominated and one is killers of the flower moon to win. Nice. Yeah, I think so. So I am the opposite of PT, where I'm almost like Michael Fass- Fassbender in in The Killer when it comes to the Oscars, where I'm like empathy is weakness. Like I have to kind of separate <laughs> my my head from my heart to get the predictions correct. And so oftentimes that's to my detriment because I sort of like forget that I can like movies. And mm. <laughs> uh, and so, but you know, it's still early enough that that hasn't totally set in yet. I think so. I you know I'm really rooting for past lives just because I got really. I saw the uh, the time darker timeline in which people forgot about that movie, and then it made me really sad. So I, I am I am happy to see that it could potentially be coming back into the race. If I'm being op- honest, though, uh, you know maybe this is going to turn to a bit. But I'm on Team Nolan. I think this year, not on mm. Team Scorsese. I think after our review, I've cooled even I've cooled more on on Killers of the Flower mm. Moon. Uh, but my but my love for Oppenheimer is still really strong. So I think I think that might that might be the one where like I don't think it needs my 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 wishful thinking. I think it will do just fine on its own. But but if if it turns out that somehow, you know, because it is the early front runner, Oppenheimer, you know, it, I don't want it to have the Fableman's effect where like no one's talking mm. about it two months from now. So so that's my kind of like, oh, I really hope it stays in the race, even though it is so dominant at the moment. Uh, those are great picks and and really interesting for me. I think part of why this was on my mind is I always want like one movie to just really hit me and be like, that's the one that's mine. That's the one that's for me. And I think, you know, uh, see the Thanksgiving episode where in absentia, I proved I was a history dad and only wanted to talk about history. I think I had hopes that Napoleon would be this and spoiler for what's about to happen. It's not, it's not my pony. Uh, or if it was my pony, it got slayed uh, unceremoniously at the start of involved uh, in the chest. Hey, yeah, spoiler, yeah. Re- hey, spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> it's the first battle. Come on. <laughs> um, so I realized that my kind of hopes, uh, I shifted and you know what it is at the moment is I'm like, hoping and praying American fiction blows me away. Um, oh, I'm such yeah. a big Jeffrey Wright fan. I am such a book nerd slash book culture nerd that it really excites me that that's, this is going to take a skewer to like, I assume literary culture, but also like Instagram or I should say bookstagram uh, culture and all that. So I realized like, that's like, as I'm thinking about what I want for best picture, I think somewhere deep in my psyche, I'm like, maybe American fiction can be really good and blow me away. So, hey, you know what would help me know? Letting me see the movie. Uh, I'd really like to see this movie. And it's been a long time. And uh, it looks like I think this one is is pretty late. It should have it, it almost came out at Thanksgiving, but got a delay. So I think uh, at least in my part of the country, it's like the 17th of December. So this will be my you're done grading. You're done everything else. The kids are still in school. Go to American fiction and enjoy it. So that's where my hopes are. I love Jeffrey Wright. Nothing will ever, ever change that about me. Um, and he was just uh, doing an interview. I think that was also Little Goldman um, and made it sound like such a good film. I can't wait. I have Jeffrey Wright as the front runner in Best Actor in nice. in terms of predicting, not in terms of wish casting. Mm. I, I think I think that's going to be that's going to end up being strong by the 
by the time the awards come around. But yeah, I'm with you. I hope that movie is is wonderful. And I also look forward to seeing it. I don't think it's out that much earlier around here, maybe a week earlier in, mm-hmm. in LA. So I think it is just like a mid-December, you know, like not quite a holiday, but almost there uh, release. And I, I, I am curious, you know, the the repeated, uh, understandable and correct, and I agree with you, refrain of let us see the movie. It's in response to the critics saying, oh, I'm over this. That's my concern for Oppenheimer, which maybe it'll mm-hmm. be a bit, Jen, where we can fight between Scorsese and Nolan, but I would love Oppenheimer to win. I love that movie too. So I've got no problem with that. But I do wonder if this is going to be like Oppenheimer, like that movie, that movie yeah. came out months ago for everybody, which is why I'm I'm very curious why there hasn't already been a sort of here, like late December, early January, we're taking over the IMAX screens again with the with Oppenheimer to remind people why they were excited about it. Although reports are that the 4K uh, Blu-ray is very hard to come by, that it's right, selling out everywhere. everywhere and they're promising restocks, um, which hasn't happened in terms of physical media in a very, very long time. Could just be hype, could just be spin, but it bodes well. I think I think it's Christopher Nolan put out the like bat signal. He was like, Hey everybody, streaming services have total control over whether or not you are able to see movies. So yeah. the solution to that is buying physical media. Guess what? I made this wonderful, really like <laughs> thoughtfully put together a physical media of Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone went nuts. So I think that that's definitely what it is. Um, all right. So I think I'm going to put a pin in. I, I you know, I, I could talk about a, awards prospects all day. So and I'm sure we're going to have another episode probably just dedicated to that at some point soon. So let's put a pin in that. We do want to shout out just because all three of us had such a strong reaction to the Furiosa trailer. Oh, my God. Very exciting. Let's go. <laughs> It looks Ooh, amazing. Best picture um, 2024. It's already locked in. <laughs> and, and, and Jen will have Dune Part 2 and I'll have Furiosa. That will be our Oppenheimer next year. <laughs> desert versus desert. Sand battle. You know what? That sounds great. I, 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 we, we would be so lucky, I think, to have an award season with both of those movies. Uh, that would be amazing. Um, big win for hard sci-fi. <laughs> I would say. Uh, um, and non non-sponsored content just a shout out again uh super yaki which i've plugged before is just my favorite t-shirt they are already out today with just a shirt that says anya taylor joy in the mad max font and it's oh, incredible nice. it looks Dope. perfect so order one up uh it looks great but uh, i love when those things happen so quickly because then you're like everybody's primed and ready for this so i will say my one person who actually told me to see fury road uh my friend who loves fury road was like oh i didn't know it wasn't charlie's and i was like yeah okay if if that's where your head was at that's a little tough yes but just didn't know that fact at all but now Mm -hmm. i was like all right like is willing to give it a try but was just a tiny bit disappointed and i i can see that but you know anya taylor joy has the goods and um i was saying she was so good in the northmen and kind of like could have been forgotten part that um i think she'll kill it in this also chris hemsworth using his actual accent who knew that was a thing? Crazy. And and <laughs> unlike unlike in the Maestro, the nose plays. The nose plays. Hemsworth, <laughs> the nose plays. I honestly forgot. I had forgotten he was supposed to be in that movie. And then when I watched mm. the trailer, I was like, "Who is that?" And then it says Chris Hemsworth. I'm like, "What?" Because then I was like, "Oh, that must be Chris Hemsworth." But why didn't I recognize him as such? So that was a little weird. But um, but yeah, that the action that looks crazy. You know, it looks like some great performances. Um, I'm ready. We're ready, George Miller, whenever you are. <laughs> the only twisted um, mind I believe in. 
(laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I do want to move on to talking about Napoleon. This is the longest movie news we've had all year, I want to say. We're at at almost at the half hour mark. I wonder why that could be. What are your short takes of Napoleon? I'll just leave it at that. Let's let's get this started. Uh, I'll start. It's not very good. Uh, Thanks for listening to the long take review. (laughs) Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, No, a slightly longer short take is it's not unenjoyable. I had a good time, but I think it was ultimately unsuccessful uh, and in ways that I hope the the, uh, aforementioned extended director's cut will fix. And I didn't, I really didn't want to go in with that take. Like going into the movie, I didn't want to leave with the take of it's we need we need the four hour version, uh, which is something that has happened with Ridley Scott before. But there's so many things that seem that go by so fast. Uh, it tries to cover a lot of ground. In I mean, it's two and a half hours, but that's not a lot of time to cover forty or fifty years of major historical events plus the ins and outs of an interpersonal relationship. So uh, especially with the, the at least the, the rumor that I heard was that uh, a lot of what was cut out was about Napoleon and Josephine, which to me was the most interesting part of the movie. Uh, mm. So I'm, I'm hoping that with those scenes put back in, in the, in the extended cut uh, that will deepen and give more substance to their relationship, which by extension will give more meaning to the visually uh, the visual feast of the battles, but they also just kind of felt like, anyway, we're fighting again and they'd go off and, and do a fight for a little while. So it's kind of disjointed. Um, there are some big lifts that I think the audience will have to do even in the longer version that includes embracing Joaquin Phoenix's take uh, on Napoleon and how, uh, how he sort of presents the character, which I, I kind of love sometimes, but I also understand the people that are just like, nope, I'm not interested. Uh, and and there's a lot of yada yada over what actually happened in history, uh, both in terms of the accuracy and in terms of like weirdly like skipping over stuff, whether it's because they're like, that's too complicated. We're not going to get into that. Or we assume you already know this, which may not be a great assumption for for everyone. So you know, I think there's some there's a lot of core issues here. And I think that this version doesn't do uh, doesn't doesn't help help it uh again sight unseen let us see the director's cut um but ultimately again the short take is that it's it's unsuccessful in its current form greg how about you well inside every man there are two wolves one who (laughs) wants to have weird awkward sex with vanessa kirby and one who wants to conquer europe and the wolf who which wolf will win the fight determines which one you feed i mean this is the my problem with this movie there is just no like connection between the two halves of it um i did not understand why you would make a movie with both of these uh plot lines kind of mesh together. And um, I probably disagree slightly with PT and my take, which is I, whichever one we were in, I didn't miss the other one in that moment. Uh, So it wasn't like in the battles, I was hoping we'd get back to Napoleon and Josephine. It was more like, Oh, if we're in battles, I'm like, Hey, I wonder what Josephine's up to. And then when we were with Napoleon and Josephine, I was like, ah, this sucks. Let's go back to the horses blowing up. Uh, So I, I mean, uh, there's a lot of craftsmanship to, uh, you know, uh, to recommend this movie. And and there are some just stunning sequences. Uh, But I found myself really watching the clock. And um, actually, again, to PT's point, I didn't know this history very well. So I kept hoping that 
each battle was Waterloo and that they were just not saying the word Waterloo. And so then when it very well, I will save it for spoilers, what happens in Waterloo in case people don't know. Uh, But when they finally have a very dramatic reveal of like, and the battle will happen here. And they point on a map to say the word Waterloo. I was like, oh, thank God. And then I looked at my watch and I was like, Oh my God, no. Um, so, uh, you know, out of fairness to Sir Ridley, I will say I went to a very late showing of this and it was still uh, given the usual 35 minutes of trailers at AMC. So I was more than ready to get out of there, um, but I really felt this runtime and I was not really kept uh, by either plot line fully. Um Maybe my one other take is it started off pretty strong and then start to see those kind of edits very quickly. Uh, and it's like, oh, I don't think this is going to be a good time. And then it kind of lost me. So I'm not going to be the positive voice. Jen, you said wow. this was your favorite film of the I century. As well, I Well, here's, here's the thing. <laughs> I can't believe I feel like I think relative to out of the three of us, I'm probably the, you know, I, I still don't think this movie works at all, but I at least <laughs> seem to be, have, I, I think I was more entertained than both of you. <laughs> watching it. So, so, you know, just to echo a little bit of what you said, I feel like this movie has a real crisis of identity through the editing, through the screenplay. It doesn't quite know what story it wants to tell about Napoleon. And honestly, with as much going on with Napoleon, based on my limited understanding of actual history, there was no way we were going to be able to tell the whole story of Napoleon. And so, so for it to seem like it was, it was trying to have it both ways of like, you know, you know, here's uh, a story about Josephine and Napoleon, but also let's, let's go through all of the battles that he ever had um, and, and kind of go do a more comprehensive look at the history uh, I think didn't quite work for me. Actually, the 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 weirdest thing about this movie is the tone, uh, which I don't think either of you have explicitly mentioned yet. But to me, I feel like I couldn't tell how serious I was supposed to take everything. Mm-hmm. And I do think this is mostly through Joaquin Phoenix's performance. I do think this is in a lot of ways a send up of Napoleon. Like I think it is trying to do something that, in theory, I would. I would want a movie about Napoleon to do. And that is to not just like venerate him endlessly and be like, wasn't he an amazing historical figure? Wow. Right. And so this, and really, you know, cause because his reputation as being like this tyrannical, like egotistical figure to sort of play with that a little bit, I think in theory, right. In theory, not in practice, in theory, I think was a kind of good idea, but what the problem is that like every time we switch back to a battle sequence, it felt like, oh, no, this is the grand, grand telling of history once again. Right. And so, like, mm. I just felt like I didn't know the movie didn't give me enough directions in terms of how to interpret what I was seeing. And so I just kept being, sitting there being like, are we serious right now? Like, what is what is happening? <laughs> like, like, is this all a joke or are we supposed mm. to be like, is this supposed to be a big moment like it? And and so I think it doesn't quite it doesn't quite land. And yeah, it's trying to be too many things. Um, but at the same time, like in individual moments, like the lines that we quoted in our opening, hilarious. I was like very <laughs> amused uh, periodically. And I actually think that like the Joaquin Phoenix performance is I, I did find very funny, 
But then I sort of paused every once in a while to be like, am I supposed to find this funny? Uh, is this good or bad that I think this is funny? Like, what is, I have no I have no inkling as to what the intention behind any of these choices might have been. Um, and so, yeah, and it just and just confusing. This is the most befuddled I have been while watching a movie in a very long time. Mm. And it's not because like I didn't understand. What, well, actually, maybe I didn't at certain points because there's also like just a slew of uh, of background characters that come and go. And there's no effort made to sort of distinguish them from each other. And I just like was I was like, who is this again? Is this his brother? Is this the other guy? Like, what is happening? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, just a very, a very confusing theatrical experience. Uh, a lot of people lock, walked out of my screening. Oh, damn. I will say um, there weren't it wasn't very full to begin with. Uh, and it was I think it was like a it was supposed to start at 815. The movie didn't actually start till 845, which for Regal is actually very uh, unusual uh it's not usually not as long as amc before the between the actual the stated start time and actual start time but even still and then i think it seemed like it was a bunch of students who probably had been assigned to go watch the movie for homework oh no <laughs> um, because like all of them were on their phones which at first i was like really annoyed with but then i was like okay i get it like <laughs> and then and then as we were walking and then a bunch of them like left and came back and then a bunch of them left and didn't come back and then like as I was walking out, so many of them were like, that was so bad. Like, that was just the, yeah. the, it was, they just didn't know what else to say. And I was like, well, that's unfortunate because Ridley Scott is an important director to me. A lot of his movies are some of my favorite movies of all time or like that were very formative films in my kind of cinephile formation. Right. And so it's disappointing for sure. Uh, and there is a lot of tech, you know, there's a lot of technical the battle sequences themselves got sucked. Yeah, that's the thing. Individual pieces of this movie I could have been engaged by, but as a whole, I just didn't know what to make of it. I'm reasonably confident the answer to your question, and again, I'm not 100%, but I'm reasonably confident the answer to was I supposed to find this funny is yes. Like okay. this felt, like everything out of the battle scenes felt like it was Napoleon shot through the Barry Lyndon lens of like, let's make fun of like these people and their... The, 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 he's just a weird little guy, and uh, it, but it it was that fifty to I don't know I don't know the actual screen time, but fifty to sixty percent of the movie was Napoleon, what a weird little guy, and the other the rest of the movie was Napoleon, what a great battle person, and there were a little glimpses of weird little guy in the battles, mm. but it it felt like it was just like there wasn't the the balance was off, which is you know again I'm working on the assumption that. Ridley Scott said there's a four, four and a half hour version. That's the version he liked and that it, it will come out at some point. And this is the exact same narrative with Kingdom of Heaven, which is almost 20 years old. I will admit to have never, having never seen Kingdom of Heaven because Kingdom of Heaven came out and everyone was like, this movie's terrible. Like what an awful like hatchet job by Ridley Scott. And then like a year later, they released, a deep, I think at the time, DVD of the four plus hour director's cut. And people were like, oh my God, this is like his new masterpiece. Like this is actually way better. Everything makes sense. So I'm kind of hoping that happens here. And I can see how if we have more time with Napoleon being a weirdo and in the trailers, scenes that were cut, like there are him talking to Josephine about battle stuff and like, you know, geo, the, the, the politics of it all, which makes me think that those were the scenes that explained for people who may not know what exactly is happening and also maybe gave some insight into what his thinking was about going into battle and combined those two halves of his character in some moments, which again, I'm, I'm really hanging my hat on like 
three lines from one of the trailers but it feels like oh maybe that could that could happen and then therefore this could be closer to making sense but yeah you're right it's just it's these two different people basically being presented and it's just like i don't really know what i'm supposed to think or how much i'm supposed to care about either side of these beyond like oh weird fun court banter of the napoleon of, of napoleon and his wife and big cannons go boom uh people fall down i don't hate uh horses as much as greg does rooting for them to be hurt um but you know if, if you're into that then you also see horses get blown up and stuff maybe that's a good segue to recommendation algorithm <laughs> that's terrible it's the, the worst segue i've ever made uh but you know i guess my question should be based on our short takes are we recommending anyone go see this movie and then i'm going to do the sound so recommendation algorithm not every film is for everyone is there anyone who should go see this movie maybe (laughs) your most devoted history channel dad that has all of the history in their pocket ready to go but um i think that'd be mad though yeah yeah, i think that person might be mad It's the Neil deGrasse Tyson of history who wants to go in and be like, I want to tell you all the ways this was wrong. And they'll have a great time. They'll have a great time. Well, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So um, my Ridley, uh, I mean, PT said before we started recording, like the filmography is just so crazy different across all these decades that he's been making movies. Um, my kind of uh you know i'm i'm probably into the more recent ridley more than the older ridley um and um so i thought the last duel was really good and i was not checking my watch in last duel even though i was watching the same story for the third time by the the time you get deep into that movie if you really loved last duel i think there's enough similar dna here i would actually say go watch last duel again probably before napoleon (laughs) but um i do think if you really liked the battles in the last duel and the kind of grittiness you'll see enough of that here the gender politics are way wackier here and and i agree with you both that it's by design not meant to make a serious point whereas he kind of in the last film really i guess that wasn't the last film because gucci came out in between right like boy that's crazy um same here in in the last duel um you know it was really taking these questions seriously about male female relationships and subjectivity whereas this one you know vanessa kirby spreads her legs and says once you see this you'll never forget anything else and that ends up being like true like no, I think she, that ends up being the theme okay. of the movie in a I'm, terrible way so uh yeah do you on this oh. she actually says you'll <laughs> wait maybe i'm gonna get it wrong that's not what it is she says like and this is i guess was this a spoiler is this in the trailer it's it in, the, in trailer. the trailer it was in it's the in the trailer uh so we can go fact check it later i guess but i think she says like and you'll never stop wanting it or something like Right? You'll never stop wanting to possess it or something like I don't that. Know. Yeah, it's I don't it's, know. it's extra you, you gross. Always, but... You'll always want it. Maybe we shouldn't be yeah. we shouldn't be spending this much time talking about this. But the takeaway is the last duel. This is not, especially if you liked the last duel because of how it actually made kind of good, uh, you know, fodder of gender dynamics and subjectivity and all those kind of complicated, juicy things it asks. Uh, it's not that. It's this but if you really love just the ben affleck scenes in the last duel do i have a movie for you it's called napoleon 
<laughs> that's uh, that's an interesting. Yeah, if you were like, what what if what if Ben Affleck was the main character, uh, and and um, some of the scenes uh, weren't good. Uh, what if what if what if we did that? Uh, I, yeah, I would say it's it's tough because I I mean I want I want to say this movie can be enjoyed by people, uh, but I'm I'm so locked into the idea of you got we should watch the director's cut like you should just wait mm. uh yeah. and uh but if you are someone who is like i love 19th century uh battles being depicted on the screen and i will sit through like uh, 80% of a movie that uh, i may not be invested in to get 20% of it um horses cannons cavalry charges uh infantry uh, lines moving with their bayonets forward. Um, so there's some great battle sequences, apparently historically inaccurate at almost every step of the way, according <laughs> to articles I looked at. But if you if you like to see the battles and you don't particularly care that it's, whether it's accurate or not, or you want to nitpick that it's inaccurate and that makes you feel good inside, gives you a little rush to, to be superior to the movie, then this is a movie you could definitely go and see on the biggest screen possible so you can just soak in the battles. Yeah, my recommendation probably would be to wait till it comes to, out on Apple TV Plus so that you can just fast forward to all the battles and just watch the battles. Because I think that cut probably would be pretty good. Just to be like, wow, like look at these battles. Uh, and the other thing I might say is like, if you are just like an irrational fan of Joaquin Phoenix, you're probably fine with this movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, but again, maybe maybe if you are able to fast forward through the parts that don't have, well, he's in the whole movie. So, um, but but he's he is doing his thing. He's doing his thing in this movie. I, uh, I really didn't. I really didn't want the recommendation for Napoleon to be the same as my friend's recommendation for Transformers: Dark of the Moon, which was also if you just watch the battles, it's a great like thirty five minute movie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I just want to take PAT's joke and make it serious because that's what you're supposed to do with jokes, which is like, I think part of what we're expressing is I think we had high hopes for this, right? Like it really felt like it could be something big and sweeping and epic. And so if you were hoping for Lawrence of Arabia, this ain't it, folks. And and that I think is hitting all of us um, that there was so much potential here and just a weak script and a edit that we're not sure knows what it exactly wants to be just made it toast I, I would also watch just the body chom jones-esque cut of this mm. you know what i mean like there is a there is a version of this movie that if you cut it the right way that is just kind of like 18th century shenanigans right and like and and people being really goofy and not serious and like looking foolish and buffoonish there's so many buffoons in this movie and like so i feel like if it were i almost wanted it to commit more to that as much as I think the battles are spectacular, I feel like the better story probably would have been just leaning into the sort of the weirdness of it and the sort of like quirky offbeat humor that I wasn't even sure was supposed to be humor. <laughs> but, I'll, I'll stop re- saying the same point over and over, but my hope is that's what the director's cut is. The director's yeah, cut leads that into that and that gives more, some, you know, gives more, even more of a contrast to what the big battles look like and maybe informs it more. Yeah, the problem with recommending this, you know, if it especially if it's like a chore to go out to the theater, is a it's going to be on uh, Apple TV presumably in the next month, probably by the end of December. Uh, B, there's supposed to be a director's cut version that 
is by, by all accounts and it's one account and it's the director who made the choices uh it's a superior experience uh and th- and three or c i forget what where how i was doing this um there's also going to be in the next year or two an hbo miniseries that's based on the stanley kubrick script that he spent like 30 years working on and could never like actually get made because he couldn't get it down into a movie and spielberg is doing like another ai um, the movie, not the technology, uh, where he's like, oh, I'm going to take this script Stanley could never finish because it was too big. And now that we're in an era where people make eight, 10 hour uh, TV you know, miniseries, I'm going to do it. And so I have, I'm sorry, Ridley, I kind of feel like Stanley and Steve will do a better job, especially with more time to cover the the breadth of this huge story. So there was a really interesting take that I've heard in multiple places. So I think at the very least, Awards Watch, Next Best Picture, like a lot of the podcasts I regularly listen to, that if Ridley Scott has a really good screenplay, then it's going to be a banger. But then mm-hmm. if he if, if the screenplay is written by someone who's meh or like, or like, you know, the screenplay is not strong, he can't do much about that. And in fact, might make it worse. Um, and so, and so I thought that was super interesting because then, because the comparison people made was the last duel, the screenplay was mostly written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, Academy Award winners for screenplay. Uh, and, and so that's maybe why that really worked because he had a lot of good material to work with and, and then could put, could put his directorial talents to good use. Whereas, you know, maybe I I can't actually don't know who the screen, the screenwriter for this was Uh, people, people were saying it disparagingly but <laughs> it's Dave it's David Scarpa who previously wrote All the Money in the World which is the Ridley Scott directed movie most famous for having Kevin Spacey portraying uh J Paul Getty and then him quickly uh refilming it with Christopher Plummer after Kevin oh, Spacey became disgraced movie. and then Christopher Plummer got an Academy Award nomination but I feel like when it came out no one was like yes what a great screenplay and an excellent movie Uh, directed by Ridley Scott, it was sort of like, what a feat that he actually turned it around in like a couple of months to get it out into the theater. So, but I guess he's one of Ridley's guys because he also wrote Gladiator 2, which is the movie Ridley Scott's working on now. Wow. Uh, Also just have to correct the record because I don't hate women. Uh, Nicole Hall of Center also contributed to the last few screenplays. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Correct the record. Uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be cynical. That's Greg Cass, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. I'm going to, well, so I actually had that thought process, but you know, in some ways it kind of felt like a very cynical and icky thing where they like, I actually agree with you that she gave them cover. Yeah. Yeah. Like she was the token, like, oh, we have a woman writing this movie too. I even remember they announced they were doing it and they were like, it's a story about like a Rashomon like story about a rape and it's written by Ben and Matt. And people were like, wait, what? And they're like, and Nicole, (laughs) Nicole's also here folks. And they were like, all right. So it it really, it really did sort of feel like they brought her on to give it a pass, but gave her, gave her a little more credit. And again, that's, that's the cynical take, I think. Yes. Maybe. Uh, well, maybe the one other thing that I want work. <laughs> the one other thing I wanted to say is I have been very down on this film, but the second this director's cut hits Apple TV Plus, I'm definitely resubscribing and I'm going to check it out. So, mm-hmm. despite all my misgivings, like I'm not so sour on this experience that I wouldn't try the the full version. I'm just really yeah, I'm curious to see how different to, it is. To bang the drum one more time, it's possible this isn't a bad screenplay. It's just 
if you take any screenplay and remove almost half of it, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, so I feel like we're we're more than ready to go into spoiler mode just because I think we can have some of these debates be more productively, maybe is what I would say, if we can talk about spoilers. Also, I think we've realized that if someone's listening, it's probably because they've also seen this movie and just want help making sense of it all. And so that, that as a, and we've now, we've now uh, discouraged enough people through recommendation algorithm who have not seen the film. Uh, so, so as a warning, if you have not seen Ridley Scott's Napoleon, we're about to go into spoiler mode. Cover your ears. We're launching spoiler Cover mode. your ears like a cannon cannons going off. You know, there, there. I guess there isn't that much to spoil because this is, in theory, supposed to all be historical record. Uh, though you, you two have made me question whether or not that's true. Because I, mean, I think the broad apparently... strokes are okay. Yeah, okay, some of the some of the details. Um, but I guess you know, I said I was very confused while watching this movie. Were there things that surprised you while you're watching or confused you? That we, that's, I think that might be a healthy place to start. It's like, let's make sense of it. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess the thing that confused me, I. I wouldn't say I'm an expert about, you know, I'm not Napoleon. The Napoleonic Empire is not my Roman Empire. Uh, that's the Galactic Empire. Uh, but the uh, the Napoleonic Empire, you know, I, I feel like I have a broad strokes. So I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. He goes to Russia. That's bad. Like, oh, he goes to the place where there was the ice. Like, that was good. Like, these are the things that are, are working for him. Uh, but like, it was just crazy how often it would be like something would happen. And it would be like, you know, a quick cut to like another scene. And then something would be said in that scene where it's just like, anyway, it's been two years. And it's like, wait, what? Uh, and it, it was just going so fast all the time. Uh, and I think that if you weren't really kind of like holding on for those clues and looking for the little indications, like there was no one really aged up in terms of yeah. makeup. Uh, there wasn't really, uh, you know, a lot of major historical, like, which is maybe good that it wasn't just like, here we are in... 1807 or whatever, like some, some reason to signpost it, but things just went out so fast that it was like, I don't, I don't know how you can keep track of it. And like, I, I had no real, I had no real concept of a lot of what was happening in France politically. That was, I think I'm supposed to, I think I'm supposed to have a a clear understanding beyond just sort of like, these folks want a King. We don't want a King. Maybe we do want a King. And uh, like that was, that did not come through as being a particularly, I don't know, clear tense tension. Yeah. I mean, they went through multiple French revolutions in like 10 minutes. Yeah. Right. The movie. And that was the, that was my, actually the first time of me being suspicious about what I was about to watch because I'm like, they're starting with Marie Antoinette. Like, huh? Uh, this is a choice. Um, like, and then it's like Napoleon's creeping in the audience. And I'm like, okay, I kind of understand. And so, so I was like, oh, like this is from the get go. I was sort of like, uh oh, like this, this seems strange. <laughs> um, and I think that continued, that feeling continued throughout the movie because of sort of what you're saying of like, it really breezes through so much stuff and cuts through things so quickly. And doesn't stop to sort of like, it doesn't seem to care about whether or not we're following in a lot of ways. Well, and and Uh, that to me is the big why, because it seems as a film, it's committed to, we want to track from, you know, it's not quite cradle to grave. It's like, 
lieutenant to grave or something like that. <laughs> like, um, and so it's like, okay, we really want to track this whole trajectory. And at the same time, as, as PT pointed out, it's like, but it skips large periods of time, which I would say has the way the the effect of diminishing the achievements. Like, it seems like he was emperor for all of five minutes. And I'm like, oh, I I thought he like was reigned longer than this. And and it's like, no, I I, I think I missed like four or five lines where they cued into to big time gaps. Um, so I think that hurts is uh, so um the big picture was uh, discussing this as is it a great man movie or what is a great man movie and there are some versions of this it's like you know a great man not as in the positive but is in a man who shapes the course of history that this definitely is a man who greatly affected the the shape of history and this movie's trying to tell you that but by skipping all the parts that make you see the effects of it and that doesn't work for me which is then all summed up in the positively bizarre choice at the end to be like now let's tally up how many people died in these battles and i was like wait is this the game i was playing the whole time we were we were concerned about these um it actually uh, so that reference is because um i i have not played a call of duty game in a long time but call of duty you'd be like yeah splatter the nazis like let's kill them all brains on the wall like this is amazing and then when you died it would cut to like a quote from a philosopher that's like there's a beast inside all man that must be quenched we need to kill it and it's, you're like wait what like i no i'm not <laughs> in the philosophy game i'm just splattering nazis on the wall so um it felt like this movie was doing that at the end where it's like and you need to feel bad for liking those battles and i was like wait no that's the only part of this i like <laughs> do you remember those battles i lovingly painstakingly recreated for your entertainment they were bad it's like oh so so we're actually already starting to talk about a couple of things that I had outlined in the rhetorical situation. So we're just going to dip in there. We can dip yeah, back out to not rhetorical situation, spoiler mode. Um, but I think we need to, in order to make sense of this movie, and I have a couple of theories too. This is also like, I'm like, oh, I want to save these for rhetorical situation. I have theories about what this movie thought it was trying to do. Uh, and I think to, in order to parse it all out and kind of figure out and see if it makes sense at all, I do think we need the help of the rhetorical situation a segment in which we use look at a film through the lens of our academic experience. It feels era appropriate. I think this, <laughs> this, this, this yeah. could have been in the movie. Um, the so court. in the teaching of writing, the rhetorical situation refers to any contextual factors that influence composing and interpretation. I think we're really hung up on interpretation. Like, what are we supposed to make of this? So, you know, the thing I immediately thought of for this movie is when I'm reading a student paper and I'm like, what is the thesis of this? <laughs> and so I want to talk about uh, and, and it's like you can see parts of what could be the thesis but your, it just doesn't coalesce uh, into anything. It's not explicitly stated. Um, so maybe I'll start with, for me, because Greg was just talking about the text, the the title cards at the end, right? Which are pretty normal in a, in a historical docudrama or a biopic, right? To be like, and this is what really happened. Don't you go home and think about that, right? Um, or you should go home and think about, go home and have a long think about that. Um, <laughs> and... So, so I was also confused by the tally and I was like, oh, is this just supposed to be like, wow, like what an impact he had. He, all these people died. I do think that the movie throughout is constantly showing us 
how during this historical period, the balance of power was completely based on like self-interest and ambition and sort of like who decided to do a coup that day you know that was definitely the feel i got from all the court scenes of like you know just what people were like hey you know it'd be great if we were in charge and then the next day they're like all right everybody like we're taking over we've got guns like bye right we're in charge now and then and it happens over and over and over again i think again that's the only way i can rationalize the first 10 to 20 minutes of the movie where they really go through all this french history because I think that's supposed to be sort of a contextual primer for like, well, you know, French politics were just like tumultuous because it was like every few years they decided to have a revolution and then they 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 put someone in the guillotine and then someone else takes over. And that was supposed to sort of be the setup for understanding Napoleon's rise to power. Maybe. Mm. Does that Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I do think it was trying to set up. Uh, context to to both sort of yeah show this is sort of the the upheaval that was happening with the presumed implication that at least for the decade that he was in charge like it was calmer than that mm-hmm. or at least in that sense uh, although again as Greg said we didn't really get to see a lot of any impact especially within the country of what his policies were beyond that when he came back from exile, his troops were like, yeah, let's, let's roll. Uh, Then that's something, I guess. But yeah, that I think it was, things were a little crazy. He calmed them down with an, an iron fist. Um, I, I tried to be uh, a good, uh, I don't want to say studious person because the, the next sentence will then sound very dumb, which is I started listening to a podcast, Uh, but there's a podcast called the age of Napoleon. That is, I, I had seen was supposed to be a very good, like historical, uh, context podcast. It has cut like many episodes. So I didn't, uh, all I did was listen to the first episode, which was sort of like a general overview. And I was like, okay, this, this should be good. And at least according to uh, the guy who puts together a podcast about Napoleon, one of the main things that fit in the like 20, 25 minute general overview episode was that one of the huge tensions around for everybody around Napoleon and also in Napoleon's legacy is that he in some ways was the embodiment of the French revolution of like, I'm taking these ideals and I'm going to try to implement them. But then he also rejected it because he's like, and I'm emperor. So there's no democracy. Like I'm just in charge now. And so that there was, that there's this tension of, you know, people see all the things that he implemented that are still foundational to French society. And by extension, a lot of modern democracies that have kind of looked to France as, as a model that, you know, he's very influential and did a lot of really good stuff, but that he also did a lot of bad stuff or undermined it with his actual actions. And like, none of that is in this movie. Like that isn't really present at all. Apart from the fact that like there were Kings that we see a queen mm-hmm. decapitated in the beginning. There's a bunch of time where it's like, Oh, the people who want a King are, are rising up. And then eventually it's like, well, what if you were just the King? And Napoleon's like, <laughs> why not? Uh, and then does it. And like, I, Again, I, I don't. I'm I'm continually going back to this well, but the only way that that this can be reconciled, and maybe it won't be, and maybe it can't be, is that there are a bunch of other scenes that just got cut because it was people talking in a court or people like you know people talking in in a palace that you know when they were like, okay, this is crazy. Like, there's so many people talking. Like, why don't let's start with these like the four or five battles and let's get 
just the scenes we need to connect the events of the battles. Mm. And that's going to be the movie we put in the theaters, um, which is crazy to say that because it's still two and a half hours. Um, so it's not like it's a, it's a, it's a brisk pace through all these action scenes, but I, I, I hope there's some sort of explanation because otherwise, yeah, Jen, you're right. It's just, there's, there's no clear thesis beyond like what a weird guy. And you know, he was so he was weird, but he still took over Europe and influenced a lot of things. So my counterpoint to what you said is that they constantly are putting text on the screen to say people's names, like all of the political figures that sort of mm-hmm. like come in and out of the court They're in a way that implies that they're going to be important later. And they just never come back. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, or you should already know them where it's just like, ah, you know, yeah, but they didn't do that for like Robespierre. Like, like that's a big name that most people who have taken Mm. some sort of Mm. European history class would know. But then it's all the other people who are more obscure than him that end up getting like a little text being like, this is so-and-so. And And it's like, is that going to matter? Like, should I learn that information? I don't know. Um, The other title card that I think actually is more what the thesis of the film could be, but again, it's not clear is the, it says something like his last words were like on his deathbed were France. I don't remember what the second one is. And Josephine, right. Mm -hmm. Josephine was like the last thing that he said before he died. And so then I was like, Oh, were they trying to sort of like show that she was she influenced all of his decisions and then that might have actually had like this ripple effect on world history in a way that maybe is is problematic because he because he's like he's making these huge military decisions based on kind of his his personal feelings towards his wife like it because like, well, i feel like that's what the movie if you had to say what the movie is about how is this might be different than somebody else's napoleon movie it probably would be that it would be the two of them right Am I wrong? I'm sorry, Greg. I feel like we're just talking back and forth over you. Uh, but I may be wrong. I thought at one point this movie was called Napoleon and Josephine. Oh. Like when it was like Ridley Scott's good movie. No <laughs> idea if that's – if that's maybe I'm inventing that and making it up. Um, I, I will say while I love the battles and those are my favorite part, I did have a thought at one point in the movie of what if this movie was called Josephine and was just Josephine's story and Napoleon came in and out of what she was the one who was in every scene. Would that be a more interesting story? Again, no, because no battles maybe, but maybe yes, because they might have something there. Um, There's an interesting sequence. And by interesting, I sort of mean bad uh, where when, when he, Napoleon comes back from, Egypt when he finds out he hears the report that his wife's having an affair and she's like left town for the day or for the weekend and he's all mad about it and he's throwing things and then she comes back and she's crying and he like dresses her down and is just sort of like like you like kind of says something like you're nothing without me and like you know this is like you have to respect me and blah 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 and then the next scene is them together by a fireplace and her basically saying the same thing back to him being like you think you're a great man but like you're not and it was like oh this is interesting that they have this sort of dynamic and is this going to be a back and forth is this a turn where suddenly she is claiming power in the relationship which is kind of just like hey guess what like this is how it's going to be because actually you're the one who needs me more than i need you but then that was never really followed up on in any clear way so like that scene made me think that what you were saying, Jen, is maybe that's it, where it's like he just wants 
you know, he basically can't have her. So he takes all of Europe to have something and just sort of be like, is this not Im- impressive? Is this not like enough for you? Are you not entertained? But are you, are you not, are you not um, entertained by my nom nom noises when I say I want to have sex with you? Uh, which is a great bit. Uh, all, you know, thumbs well, up to Napoleon. actually blinking on one of you doing that for the opening. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't, I'm glad we didn't go there. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I do think we do at this point, deep in the spoiler section, we do need credit for both skipping the nom noms and for skipping the, if you look, if you look between my legs, you will see whatever. Um, neither of which would have been appropriate, um, but were was definitely beckoning to both of us. But yeah, I so anyway, I it's it's it seems to like have there's there's some implications, but I feel like at this point it's just us putting things onto the movie that isn't there, and maybe it would be in the full version, but this is also the version that was released, so it's like this is what we've got, and it kind of just feels a disjointed mess. Greg, get, get in here. What What is this movie about? The thesis of this film, with due credit to Lin-Manuel Miranda, is impotence. It gets the job done. Uh, which is really to say that this... Uh, hey, he did the scuttlebutt, so I can do that. That's not a crime. That's not a crime. Uh, so, do they talk about uh, impotence and scuttlebutt? I haven't... Uh, <laughs> that's, what, what a strange uh, I choice. I think it comes up with the seagull. Um, I so, guess it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> um, Jen's going to edit that out. Um, so um, the I think the most unique thing this movie tries to do is to get into the psyche of Napoleon. And this pulls strings from what both of you have been saying. I have been listening while also thinking of my impotence joke. Um, and really, that's what this comes down to is he is a man. I mean, God, it's so stupid because it's the napoleon complex right it's like (laughs) this is a man who uh is not manly in all these myriad ways in how tall he is in his voice in the respect he doesn't get and in this case his inability to sire a child which um you know i know is technically not impotence but impotence sounded like immigrant so i went with that anyway um so all of that is to say, like, because he's so unsatisfied in all the things that are supposed to prove he's a man, he goes wild and destroys Europe and takes the whole place over. And why I'm so unimpressed with that as a thesis is because if you know two things about Napoleon, it's that he took over Europe and that he had this weird complex. Right. And that's why I'm I'm not impressed with a lot of that. And I don't find myself wanting more of the Josephine story in in exactly the same way PT has described. He wants more. Um, In the two scenes PT mentioned, I found that completely baffling in the theater. I was like, this is the inverse of the last scene. And (laughs) the cut just was like, it's morning. Now it's night. And I get to say this back to you. And like, sure, I have fights with my spouse that end up like that sometimes but like it didn't make a lot of sense and she also i I would slightly correct pt i believe she doesn't say you're nothing without me you take away your mother and me and you're nothing Mm. like the specter of the mom is so bizarre because because she's barely in the movie one scene as i recall and like throwing stank eye across the room at josephine and never nothing comes of that like are we supposed to see that as an iceberg of tension behind it in after that but like nothing comes of that and we get the cannonball at the beginning that has to be sent to his mom 
I don't understand why. I don't know if that's a real historical detail. All that doesn't make sense to me, but folds into this like manhood question, right? And so Napoleon can't be a man and is, uh, you know, his greatest fear is what Josephine says, that he's nothing without his mom and without her. And so that then becomes his reason for taking over Europe and and destroying everything. And you you both made jokes previously about covering your ears. That's just another version of that, right? Like, oh, too loud, too loud on my little ears. Uh, it's it's a lack of manliness here. I should have done that in a French accent, despite Joaquin not doing it. Um, and I I just feel like I'm so so. You made the point that like this would be the student paper. Where you'd be like, what's your thesis? To me, this is the student paper that has nothing new and original to say about things. It's, you know, I'm in my uh, 16th year of teaching and it's like, I still get the student who's like, I'm going to blow your mind. Here's a paper about why we should legalize marijuana. I was like, yeah, I've read this paper 10 (laughs) times a year for 16 years. Um, And it's, and it's like, also we've legalized it now, but sure, (laughs) blow my mind still like with it. Um, Also, did you know that social media could be bad for you? Oh, what? Maybe we should play NCAA athletes. I mean, I feel really bad because I'm literally grading these papers like right this weekend. And there's a beauty in that in teaching first year students this, uh, teaching freshmen in, co- freshmen in college, because they're like opening themselves to a world where the rules of their parents don't apply and they really want to, you know, explore and discover that. Ridley Scott is not a college first year, right? He is not he's somebody who should be making the simplest argument. Um, and just because I made fun of students, I'll make fun of myself. I remember when I turned in my dissertation, one of my reviewers, which I will not name by name, but Jen can guess, I am sure, uh, took the the draft, had not had any input whatsoever, was just on my committee kind of nominally, just tore apart the first chapter and was like, all of these takes were around when I was in grad school, stopped reading it on like page 20 of 150 <laughs> and did no more work. Wow. And I was like, cool thanks for the help and that's the way uh i feel about this movie it's like all of these takes are around before it's hard and and part of what's frustrating us is i think we had hope that there'd be some transcendent thesis here something that did open this up in a new and interesting way and turns out it was just the version of it we heard from like looney tunes cartoons 30 years ago It hasn't crested the best uh, uh, big screen depiction of Napoleon in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which I think got (laughs) to the heart of the of the man more than this movie did. Uh, I I will say I do think most of my desire to have the movie be more centered around Josephine and have more scenes of it is the assumption that Vanessa Kirby will make that work. Uh, which I think that she's doing a, an, you know, an okay job with what she's, she's got. She's working hard. She's working she hard. Like it's yeah. But, but I think, you know, Greg's point is, is fair of just sort of like, well, like what, what would we get? What more would we get? Uh, is there, is there trenchant insight into these two people that would be different from what is already known? Counter- uh, then- Counterpoint. Jodie Comer walked away for a reason. And you know, do credit to Vanessa Kirby because I agree she's great in doing what she's been asked to do. But I think it's possible Jodie Comer saw this part and was like, "Yeah, this movie's weird, and I don't want to do this," and walked away. So I went I'm, to the bike riders yeah. instead, a movie we have not seen. Oh, true. <laughs> but so okay, so I want to think about because if this were a student paper, and we're diagnosing it as not having a clear thesis, and it's kind of got and 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 has multiple strands of potential 
theses, right? Like, mm-hmm. like it's like, oh, it could be this. It could it could be about Josephine. It could be about the Napoleon complex. It could, you know. it has and, an unclear categorical thesis of like three different points yes. that are unrelated beyond just sort of falling under falling under a huge umbrella. So, I mean, think about what you would tell that student, and can we apply that here? So, like, is there a version of this movie based on what we've seen that could be cogent? The, the I mean the version I think I would want is the version that you were talking about, Jen, which is again, it's sort of it's Barry Lyndon, but make it Napoleon, where it's like just make it a comedy of manners that is so dry. Oh, that that's people, the phrase I was looking for earlier. That mm. people don't realize <laughs> that it's supposed to be funny. Uh right. except for the occasional line like, uh, you think you're you think you're so great because you have boats. It's just like that line killed. Everyone liked it. And it, I, I, in that moment, it felt like everyone in the theater where I saw it, that it felt like everyone unlocked it of like, oh, this is a joke. Like, this is a comedy. Mm. Okay. Now we're waiting. But then it doesn't really stick with that for long enough. So I think that that movie that is, that's that, that somehow can still translate it with the big battles and, and you know, or or make some sort of commentary about how these huge bloody warfare moments are all coming from the same place as someone who's just, you know, working up their ego in a, in a, in a spat in a room with a bunch of columns that, that, that could be something. Again, I don't know if that's new, but that might be executable in a way that's successful. Go with what PT said before that. I think the problem is that it's trying to be two movies and either of the single movies would be great. Um, And so I think you really have to connect these and make the, if he thinks there's a subtext here about what's happening in one kind of set of these scenes impacts the other fully, I think that's left too blank. So we can't really draw that in a better script yeah. could have. Um, or actually, PT doesn't know this, uh, I don't think, but he essentially pitched the Priscilla version of uh, Napoleon, which yes. is <laughs> like if this was a movie about Josephine, the Sofia Coppola version would be her sitting alone in these palaces and you know, sneaking her her side lover uh, in the earlier section, but but not later, as I recall. And like he just comes back in. Napoleon returns, and there's all these rumors that he slept with Anne Margaret. Oh no, wait, I'm I'm confusing them again. <laughs> uh, so uh, but like she's there learning about it. the the device of him constantly seeing the the newspaper cartoons about himself. I liked that. Like I thought mm-hmm. that was really cool as in like i'm a stranger in my own marriage so i'm going to the newspaper to figure out what what is happening in my marriage like that could be a a really cool film of this is what happens when the the uh the dictator is away and what that life looks like um that's a version i would love to see to to kind of unpack what it means to be josephine and and the the best parts of vanessa kirby are the later stages where she eventually holds the baby and says like you have no idea what i gave up for you and that to me was powerful that was like yeah like there's a really compelling story there if we got the the like the truth version where we rush him on over to her perspective for a little while but yeah and it's crazy because by we by the time we get to that moment or that whole sequence in which they get divorced and they frame it as he's doing it for france right and they're both crying when they're signing the papers right because they really love each other and i'm just like where was this this whole time right like like, like, um we're suddenly in another movie um 
I he think also slaps her, which isn't great. That mm-hmm. was yeah, that was a choice. And they and the movie makes no attempt to contextualize or explain any of the actions. And so, like, I've heard a lot of people being like, "Yeah, Napoleon and Josephine, what a kinky relationship! Like, how how weird like, they're into some weird stuff." And I'm like, "Where are you seeing that?" Because to me, I'm just seeing different scenes in which they're acting in different ways with each other, and there's no explanations to like what the nature of their actual relationship is. Um, I do think, though, based on what both of you are saying, this movie instead of starting all the way back to Marie Antoinette's execution needed to start with the moment that Napoleon meets Josephine. If you mm. start the movie there, imagine how much runway you have to actually develop their relationship and show kind of how she gets this, has this like hold over him to the point and like drives him so crazy that he ends up having to take over all, over all of Europe. And then you can actually in the editing, I think cut just between like, and then you'd have to drop all of the French politics stuff, I think. And then you'd have to just cut in between cut back and forth between something in their intimate home life and then cut immediately to a choice he makes on the battlefield in a way that like imply like very through the juxtaposition sort of implies that one there's a cause and effect relationship there. You know what I mean? And like we don't get that because there are so many skips and hops throughout the whole history. And like mm-hmm. there's never any kind of editing with purpose, I feel like, in a way that and again, this could go back to what PT was saying that this is it's because this is not the real quote unquote real cut of this movie. <laughs> the um, truth. Yeah, we'll have to do we'll have to do another episode after the the four hour cut comes out. Um, maybe not, or Let's just see what is. <laughs> okay, maybe not another episode. We have to make it maybe make it a part of a segment on of movie news or something like to be like, hey, checking back in. Does were we right? Does the four well, hour cut suddenly illuminate everything? <laughs> I mean, look, m- maybe it's great, and maybe we do want to come back and do another episode. But let's yeah, we'll not see. commit. Let's not commit to it yet. <laughs> yes, yeah. who knows? Uh, here's here's one, uh, one one last question on that to sort of speak to I, mean, I think sort of a point that both of you made about how you know it, it is sort of bifurcated is there a version of the movie that's just battles like where we it's not really we don't really have josephine we don't really have maybe we have to some degree the sort of politics of the court but like we just get weird napoleon like doing his kind of peacocking in his negotiations with other people and then going out and doing stuff because i feel like the battles yeah. looked really cool i did kind of leave being like why is he a genius? Like he hid cannons once like that. I feel like the the two things I know for sure that he did was made cannonballs hot. So when they hit British ships, they went on fire. That was, was said at the beginning of the movie that he had already done that before the movie. And then he hid cannons under a tarp once. And that was it. And it was like, Oh, and that's why he's so smart. Um, Like what was his actual like battle genius? Cause, cause and and I get that. Like you get Moscow and then you get Waterloo that like, inevitably it's going to go bad for him. But yeah, it just, it was, it, I, I wondered if, is there a 90 minute to, to two hour movie that is very battle focused and somehow tries to track him and his uh, I mean, degradation really? I don't know, because I think you need to still add in a bunch more scenes. Cause I think barring the very first scene where he actually explains the strategy before we see it implemented in the battle. I feel yes. like that's actually one of the only times he does that, right? Where he's like, that's true. Well, here's what you do. You have to take, if you take the fort that's at in the harbor, right? Then you can get to all the ships and then you get, then you can take over the whole city, right? And, th- and I'm like, and then they showed it and I was like, that made a lot of sense. Good job, Napoleon, yes. right? Like, <laughs> so, yeah, fair. There is also that. I will, I will add, I forgot that that was part of so the So they need a lot, I would, they would need a lot more of that, I think, to make it, make it not just, here's a bunch of people being blown up by cannons. Also, where did the cannons go? 
because I feel like by the time we get to Waterloo, there's secret. The, I, no, I don't know. I was like, where are the cannons? <laughs> like, wasn't his, his whole strategy relies on cannons? And now we're just doing this, like, you know, uh, I don't. I mean, I don't mili- know military terms, but like, like man, there was a lot of like one up, like man to man fighting. It was like infantry charging. Yeah, I mean, they were shooting cannons, weren't they? Like each side was shooting cannons. It just was. I, I, it wasn't spelled out, but my assumption was like, oh, everyone figured out the cannon thing. Like Britain was like, I should bring, we should bring cannons. Like that's working for Napoleon. <laughs> like I should do that. And so now everyone's got cannons and he's like, uh-oh. Also, shout out, shout out to Rupert Everett. I, mm. I was so happy when he showed up. I was like, oh, this makes perfect sense. And he did a really good job. I was like, he's a great. Duke of, yeah, Greg, go ahead. Yeah, Duke of, no, Duke that's Greg, my name. Yes. I'm putting yes. in my name in the Zoom call because I attributed Rupert Everett yes. by calling Greg myself. Greg today P- is Duke of Greggington. <laughs> PT is PT Talleyrand. Wait, who is no. that? He was one of the he, diplomats. This is, this is the problem with the movie. I don't <laughs> well, remember who that was. Yeah, I mean, him I actually remember from like history classes. Mm. But okay. uh, yeah, he's... Um, I, mean, I, I, I say that, but then I have to look it up exactly who he is. He's one of the leading diplomats. He's the guy who's always talking to the King of Austria. Oh no! So the, the um, uh, whoever the they, they're in room. like a club. Yeah, they're yeah. in the they're in the uh, the fancy room, and it's just like, what if you sided with France instead of England? And mm-hmm. the guy from Austria is like, oh, I don't know. Um, so yeah, but I remember Talleyrand from like AP history, so I went with that. Um, to get back to Jen's question, I think there is a version of that movie. Um, I would hate to lose Tulum because I, I mean, I, I keep thinking yeah. in my head like that was my favorite part, and then I'm like, well, no, because then the part with the cannons and the ice was so incredibly done, and I still don't understand how they did it. And then Waterloo was lesser than those two, but was up there as still very spectacular, particularly the when you get the overhead shot of the phalanxes doing the squares and and so on. I think if that's the film, it becomes about he and his brother, who I guess was around for a lot of those and then wandered <laughs> off one day and never was heard from again, uh, went back to his home planet. Um, but I do feel like um, you could make a like real meal out of doing just the march to into Russia, right? Yeah. And uh-huh. have that be about how driven he was and the successes across Austria. And then... He's so sure of himself and then, uh, you know, just essentially his army starves to death and he loses some and that could rack a man. And I think, you know, this movie has a couple moments where they want to pretend he loves the army so, so much and the army loves him back. Jen, that was the third word uh, is uh, France, the army, Josephine. And so it's like, yeah, that could be the third leg of the love triangle, perhaps, but those moments didn't feel earned. He like hands bread out. And then, uh, then they like decide to side with him when he returns from Elba. And those like, could be a really like the commander's relationship with his men could be the, the core of a movie. If you wanted to make that version, um, or pitch it as a love triangle between the army, Josephine and, uh, Napoleon. Mm. Although I guess that might mean, no, that could be a love triangle. Josephine doesn't have to love the army to to be a love triangle. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It it can be a, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I love all these ideas, but, and, and like, I, I, I keep thinking about how to make this like a good epic historical, like a historical epic. But then I remember all the parts that I enjoyed the most and it's, don't you think you're so great because you have boats? It's it's him with the sarcophagus. I that mm-hmm. was so funny. Where he's like he has to get up on the stool, and then yeah. he's he's I don't know what he's trying to do. He's like having a moment with the mummy, and then it like tilts over to the side. <laughs> um, like that was very funny and awkward. And then like 
when they're doing the coup and there's all these people and the guy's like, I'm enjoying my breakfast. Like what? This is, <laughs> yeah. this is an succulent breakfast. Succulent. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like all of those moments, and I guess this is going back to the comedy of manners idea, but all of those moments I think were the most entertaining to me personally. Like, and so like, can we make that movie where it's just a, uh, it's just a, like a pure comedy of all the like buffoonery of the French court and of Napoleon and how they're like, he's, he's like insecure and incompetent and doesn't know what he's doing. Like I would watch that movie for sure. And I feel like that movie makes the most sense in the context of Joaquin Phoenix's performance. You know what I mean? I'm realizing that there's, uh, uh, it's not the two wolves that live inside of us as Greg, that Greg mentioned earlier, but there's two movies that live inside Napoleon. And one of them is Waterloo, which is the, Italian Soviet movie from the early seventies. That's just about the battle of Waterloo and has like a hundred thousand Soviet Ukrainian troops uh, marching to, to be in the movie. And it's supposed to have these amazing epic uh, uh, battle sequences. Uh, I'll admit I have not seen it, but I've heard like, it's, you know, not the most in, uh, I think it's supposed to be kind of plotting and very sort of seventies epic slow, but the battles are supposed to be absolutely incredible. So there's like that moment. And then there's like a death of Stalin, but make it Napoleon movie. That Mm. is this, you know, sort of satire of how these things all unfolded and make it the comedy. Uh, The other moment I will shout out since we spent most of this uh, episode kicking the movie for being bad is when it's the, uh, they're, they're, uh, I think it's when he becomes no, it's not when he becomes emperor. It's when they they overthrow whatever the council is, and it's going to be like him and the other guy and another guy, another other guy, uh, who are the three counselors. Probably bad. I don't know who they are, but they, they sort of plot where it's like, what if the three of us are the counselors? And uh, they they they're in the meeting, and there's a guy who's like, this is crazy, and they start all fighting, and Napoleon has to run out and find troops, and it's him and his brother. And he's like, my brother would never do anything against France. If he did, I would kill him. And Napoleon looks at him and the brother's like, I don't know. Like, that's, I just yeah, said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And the troops are all like, oh, okay. Like, we, we believe you. Um, and then they all run in. It's like, yeah, those, those little glimpses of like, oh, what, yeah, what if it's uh, an Iannucci movie instead of, uh, you know, this sort of weird melange. I guess it all does come down to what you said, Jen, that like Ridley Scott needs a screenplay to keep him in line. Because he just sort of, he works with the material, good or bad, like whatever it is. He's not really elevating the material. Well, I mean, he's elevating the material with his visual storytelling. Like that's why those, you know, all those shots under the ice and like all that. Yeah, like there's many breathtaking, visually breathtaking moments in this film. True. Are we ready to go to Oscars watch? I think so. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't don't know how long a conversation this will be, but we'll see. It's moments like these when I when I wish that we had video because <laughs> that was incredible. You guys were you guys were you ready to go on the road? We were smoothing, yeah. um, some good some good shuffling. <laughs> All right, so does this film have any Oscars prospects? What do we think? I mean, it's not the critical reception has been mixed at best. Yeah. So what is that like trans- to, uh, translate into? Congratulate Oppenheimer on having locked in all the below the line categories, right? <laughs> like I, I just feel like we thought this is the one that could challenge them by being in that lane of like the serious mm. film that does a lot of the technical stuff. I think 
you know, I don't, the visual effects here aren't splashy enough. They, and that is actually to their credit, but not to their award credit, right? Yeah. Like the fact that I can't tell in a shot. So, so if you watch, uh, I love the Lord of the Rings movies, but if you watch like Return of the King or Two Towers, you see the horses stampeding and you're like, those three are going to die because those are clearly the CG ones next to the real life <laughs> horses. And then you're like, yes, dead horses. Uh, but in this one, you're like, I have no idea which ones are fake and which ones are real. And I don't know if that's digital doubling or something, but it's it's really impressively done. And so, but I really do think that all of that just means this won't get the credit it deserves for really good visual effects um, because of that. So I you know, I don't even think I want either actor nominated, which really surprises me. And I think that's fine. Sorry, Sir Ridley. There was a window like pretty early in the movie where I was like, Vanessa Kirby is going to get a nomination out of this. Like she's doing it. And then the movie just kept going and she still did a good job, but I was like, okay, like that's not going to happen. I'm, I'm going to say, uh, which maybe again shows that the, in terms of like predictions, I think of it much more as like a random game than Jen's meticulous uh, uh, actual talent at figuring out what's going to happen. Costume design. This gets a costume design nomination. Mm, that's it. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. done. This is the exact right period for that guild. Yeah. They yeah. always not, even if the movie no one has ever heard of. Like, they, I feel like if something has decent costumes in this period, it's getting nominated. And so, yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing. I feel like. I have a hard time thinking who else is in visual effects other than Oppenheimer. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not a crowded field as far as I could tell. Yeah. So for that reason alone, it could probably still get in there. It, right? it, but it's definitely going to be like a shrug of like, I guess. Yeah. Like, I right. guess it's this. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's hard because their nominations is also a kind of weird group. Like, like. Would it shock me if Transformers Rise of the Beast is nominated? No, right? Because that <laughs> is a complicated yeah. visual effects film. And, you know, I don't respect it, but some of the things they do to turn uh, cars into robots are kind of cool and, you know, look like they are hard to do. Um, but I think I think Oppenheimer, I think Guardians 3, um, and then maybe one other kind of blockbustery thing. I, I don't see it. Um, but did all Quiet on the Western Front get a visual effects? It did, didn't it? I, I believe think it, it did. did. So I think it, here's the thing. Yeah. It is technically a war movie. So yeah, sound yeah. sound is on the table, potentially. I mean, I think in all of these categories that we're talking about as potential, it's it would be like the last one that sneaks in. You know what I mean? Like it's not mm-hmm. like it's not like has a chance to win necessarily in any of these categories. But and it would be more like the people who worked on this, everyone in the field really respects them. Like, unless right. because we love that movie because yeah. it's this movie. And Thompson loves this movie from IndieWire. Hmm. Hey, someone. She, she just thought it was really funny. And like, she, I was like, maybe she's understanding it on a deeper level. Than I. <laughs> um, this and is... She was like, the, the battles are such a good spectacle. Apparently she could handle the dissonance between the, you know, all the different parts. Um, so this is wild. I'm looking at awards watch just because I was like, what's even in the discussion? Uh, and this is from a few weeks ago. It's November 11th. Uh, so maybe maybe pre-Napoleon uh, is Napoleon's on the next up list. Their top five in their predictions are Oppenheimer, Guardians, Volume 3, The Creator, hmm. Spider-Man, Across the Spider-Verse, and Blue Beetle. Huh? 
which again, I don't know if that's like, oh, the effects houses will all support each other on this. Yeah. The Marvels, the Marvels and Little Mermaid are six mm. and seven. Transformers Rise of the Beast is at eight. Elementals at 10, which is really interesting. They think that animated movies are going to jump individual effects. Um, and of course, at number nine is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. That's playing for awardswatch.com, not for me, for the record. <laughs> I got stuck on the fact I was like in a fever dream just while PT was talking. And I was like, wait, Joaquin Phoenix won for the Joker, right? Like, yeah. how yes, bizarre that this career will be like, he played Napoleon, but we really liked when he played the comic book guy <laughs> a lot better. Right. Or like even something like The Master, which is essentially the same part as The Joker, except yes. without the makeup. Except in a great movie. And yeah, and we're not going to reward him for that. We're just going to reward him for The Joker, which that means he gets nominated next year for Folly All Do, right? Because uh, that's like the one DC movie coming out next year. Um, but... It, bizarre, it, bizarre career, the, but I don't see it happening for this film. <laughs> in the Academy's defense, he lost to Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln mm, for right. The yeah. Master. So That's I mean, fair. tough beat. He's yeah. you know you're gonna you're, you're you're gonna lose to Daniel Day-Lewis frequently when you're nominated against him. So PT, you were looking at Awards Watch, correct? That's correct. Okay, so I'm on Gold Derby, which is the other okay. source for this sort of thing, and uh, it's they have Oppenheimer, Guardians of the Galaxy, the Creator. Dungeons and Dragons. Hello. Uh, and then Spider-Verse. And then Napoleon's number six. Um, wow. And then it goes Poor Things, Barbie. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, it's weird. I feel like these lists confirm that the field is like not that crowded. Like, so it's sort of like, you know, movies big, that big you Big fan of the creator in that category. I'm sorry we forgot yeah, that. For sure. Yeah, me too. That, That's good. Love. Um, and I think that has hit digital fairly recently and is getting a little more attention because that is a pretty solid, that would have been a good Thanksgiving pick, right? Like, put it on yeah, and true. everybody in the family can kind of be like, yeah, it's it's good cool, enough. Cool, weird right? space things. Is Ridley Scott going to ever get an Oscar? He does not currently have an Oscar. Look, He's been nominated. I'm, I'm with Greg. The Last Duel was excellent. I yeah. I think Last Duel is one of Ridley Scott's best movies, like, uh, um, across a very long career. And no one cared about that movie. Um, I think it's possible. I mean, he's what is he's 86, right? I, I've already joked about him dying. I think so. so. Be careful. Um, but I feel like he has probably got a couple of movies left in him. It It's possible that he would get the like, oh, my God, he's still doing it. Let's let's reward him. But, you know, he's very ornery. He doesn't uh, he doesn't hold back. I don't think it's going to get any better in terms of his interviews and his campaigning. So I find it unlikely that he'll end up doing it. Mm. But again, he put out a banger two years ago. People slept on. What if he puts out a great movie that everyone does embrace? Mm. Could it could it could it get momentum? It's possible. I don't think it's likely. So you have you have faith he's still got got something in him that that could get there. I, I was surprised at how much I liked the last duel. Maybe that was it. But mm. and the and the thing is his next movie is Gladiator 2, which I don't feel great about. But <laughs> maybe there's something after that. That is is gonna be. Is gonna I don't want to acknowledge that Gladiator Two is the thing that's happening. It's just. It's Gladiator it's not, was a very important movie to high school Jen. I don't. I do not want this tarnished. It's a good. It's a good movie. Uh, I will just also note. I'm sorry that we're talking about how, how did Joaquin Phoenix end up winning for for Joker. 
um, which is clearly the latter day scent of a woman, I feel like, for an actor that everyone was like, he'll win, right? And then he won for a crazy movie. Um, but when the other movie that I thought, like, why didn't he win for Walk the Line is because that's when Philip Seymour Hoffman won for Capone. Mm. So good that Philip Seymour Hoffman wow. won while, while yeah. he could. So he's just had some bad beats with his with his biggest roles, I feel like. Yeah, I'll never forget his his acceptance speech for when he won for the Joker. <laughs> he seemed very good, surprised. It was a good non-speech. It was great. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so so Ridley Scott has been nominated for Best Director for Thelma Louise, Gladiator, and Blockhack Down, and for Best Picture of The Martian. A thing, I've, a story I've heard floating around is that he could have had an Oscar for Gladiator had he just been a producer on it because it won yes. Best Picture, uh, but he didn't win for Best Director. So, and and which which people find crazy because he's basically a producer on every other movie that he makes, and so it's like, why was that the one that he right. wasn't a producer on? He could have had an Oscar. We could have been we could have avoided all this altogether. Um, but yeah, I think the consensus amongst critics I follow is that he's he's maybe going to get an honorary Oscar at some point. But, but Wait, it's tick, less, I know we we're running out of time for that. <laughs> they don't, they don't give those out. It's a, those posthumously, I assume. Right. No. I mean, and let's not, let's not sleep on the fact that Ridley Scott did Thelma and Louise, which I mean, what a yeah. great movie and what a movie you don't associate. You don't think of Ridley Scott and that movie. I mean, I don't at least like with that kind of movie, he feels very genre heavy in, in, you know, the, the sort of big name uh, pictures, but uh what a yeah! What, what a great job! I'm glad he got nominated for that. Very unfortunate he didn't get nominated for his the two biggest movies or or the two biggest to his legacy movies, um, which I think are the second and third movies of his career, which is wild. Uh, mm-hmm. Alien and Blade Runner. Oh. He did. He had The Duelist, another uh, Napoleonic uh, wartime uh, movie, Napoleonic era uh, martial based movie. Um, followed it up with Alien, and then did. Blade Runner, which would be wow, what a start. Um, Jen, edit out that comment from PT just now because what I was gonna say is to me, who cares about having an Oscar when you can say he was nominated for Thelma and Louise in the 80s and The Martian in 2018, I think it was like just the fact that a person is making movies that long that are that beloved and that different. That to me is the achievement. So I, I am sad to say I don't think it will ever happen, but I do think, you know, I'd rather be the guy who makes such a wide range and has people going, oh my God, how can Thelma and Louise and Blade Runner and Alien and on and on be the same guy? And House of Gucci. Oh my God. House of Gucci too? Uh, how can that all be the same guy? I think to me, uh, I don't know Sir Ridley that well. That's why I say Sir. Uh and I will say that I feel like he's the kind of guy who seems like he wants to just be able to say, I made the kind of things I wanted to make and people liked them. And I don't think he cares that much about getting an award. So power to him. And now long take listeners, I'm whispering because this is the part where Jen will edit this in at the end of the episode instead of during it. I just dodged a bullet because I've never actually seen Gladiator. And just low two episodes ago, Jen was freaking out because she hadn't seen Master and Commander and thought I would be angry. So uh, I've never seen Gladiator, and maybe I should. It sounds like it's a banger. So uh, that's it. That's all I have to say. Maybe let's go rent a movie. (laughs) 
Ah. (laughs) Look, good movie. We kind of weird at one best picture. Like you're going to watch it and be like, this is best picture. Um, Mm. I will note Joaquin Phoenix's first nomination was for Gladiator. Uh, Mm. He did get nominated for that. But I remember it came out and everyone was like, what is this weird little brother of River Phoenix doing? This is so strange. Mm. And it's it's very Joaquin. Um, Yeah, it's probably worth checking out. I will say I mostly think of Gladiator from the character in The Sopranos that keeps quoting Gladiator for like a season and a half because he's just like, I love Gladiator. Are you not entertained? Um, and uh, so, yeah, I have to rewatch Gladiator because I haven't seen it in a very I long mean, time. I mean, it's the movie that that invented touching grass, right? Like that's, <laughs> right? That's, <laughs> we, we owe it so much. Uh, you know, so I said this movie was very important to high school. Me, that is true because- I basically I have distinct memories of sitting in between classes or like during study period and listening to the Hans Zimmer soundtrack on my Discman. Hey, um, yes. <laughs> and, no skips. And it's like it was it was Hans Zimmer and Bare Naked Ladies. Like that was like wow. my entire high school experience. <laughs> I was listening to those two things. Um and, and yeah, I don't yeah, and it and just like the, I can still remember the like there's and it, it was a time it was a time it was a time when it was OK for movies to have like poignant one liners. Right. Mm-hmm. Like when when and Greg, I don't want to say it now because Greg Greg hasn't seen this movie. So gotta, here's what we do. do. Movie swap. Well, yeah, exactly. Oh. Right. We're going to we're going to do yes. uh, in February instead of us reviewing Argyle, we will do a movie swap episode where we do Mastering Commander and Gladiator and PT can just enjoy a lot of Russell Crowe. Well, Maybe wait, PT's take I, is late There's going to be there's gotta be a movie that I haven't seen. Oh, uh, <laughs> I mean, pick, yeah, pick pick a bunch of these random Ridley Scott movies that, uh, yeah. that he's in in late 2000s. Apparently Although, he's good in The Nice Guys. There's something we're that, that movie's incredible. That okay. movie's incredible. I, that's right. a, a Shane Black movie. We I can pick a third. Movie. We'll find a third. I'll figure out a third. Or, I'll just or watch... we make PT watch Argyle and do that episode by himself. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you, no, uh, make me watch. What's the What's the weird pre LA Confidential like a virtuosity? Is that the one where it's like he's the weird villain with uh, in one of those like sci-fi movies uh, oh, in man. The cyberpunk movies from the mid nineties? Um, or I'll just watch LA Confidential again. And that's just a sign we need to stop talking about Napoleon because we're only talking about <laughs> Russell Crowe movies. So I think it's time to say goodnight. PT, Jen, Greg, yes, that's me. It's been a pleasure. Please find us at all the usual places and we will catch you next time at the movies. Thank you for listening. You can follow The Long Take on Substack at thelongtake.substack.com. Subscribe for free to receive reviews of films with Oscar buzz, as well as new films and series from pop franchises like Star Wars and Marvel.